Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to another stop along the way on the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life via the Higher Purpose Podcast. I was reflecting, this is the third year of the podcast, which means this is the third February we've broadcasted. In each of the last two years, I've made it an intentional effort to host a conversation exploring the ideas, the concept of love during the month of February around Valentine's Day. This year, I set the intention of hosting conversations about love for the entire month of February. And you know what? It's happening. It came together. So today is our third conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you. Our guest is Laurie Cameron. I met Laurie via an Audible exclusive that she recently released entitled The Power of Self-Compassion. Well, it wasn't that long into the listen, or as she puts it, experiencing the book, that I reached out and connected with Laurie and invited her to join us here. Laurie doesn't do a lot of podcasts, and she isn't on the circuit, just bouncing around everywhere. So it is an honor to have her join us here today. I hope you'll enjoy it. And we've got a treat for you before we conclude. We actually practice self-compassion together. I don't know about you, but I know I always benefit from extending love, especially when I extend it my way. What a joy it is to welcome Laurie Cameron to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Laurie, what is something you are grateful for in this moment of us connecting? In this moment, I'm grateful for you. As we were chatting about earlier, I really appreciate your way of being. And that's something that I'm very tuned into with people just in my training (laughs) and being present and open and curious and aware, a gift in that mindfulness practice over the decades has allowed me just to really be present with others and appreciate how they're showing up. And that's something that I've appreciated about you since our first contact when we first started getting to know one another. So that's what I'm grateful for is just seeing you, hearing you, feeling your heart, your purpose and hosting these conversations on your podcast and inviting me into your conversation salon. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I love that conversation salon. I'll be using that again. Well, thank you, Laurie. Boy, I wasn't expecting to hear that, but that's just so kind of you. And yeah, there is something special about the environments that we create here and the people that show up and join in to listen. So I'd like to ask you this. What is something you would like us to know about you that allows us to connect with you I love the word you use as a fellow human, right? On this journey of self-compassion. I love it that you're not showing up here today as an exalted guru to enlighten us about self-compassion, but you're a fellow human who 
needs to extend self-compassion to yourself regularly. Oh, on a daily basis. In fact, more than a daily basis throughout the day, I practice different forms of self-compassion, but they all have similar qualities to these different tools or ways of doing it. And something about me is that I have, in my journey in this life, I have experienced a lot of loss and a lot of pain. And I'm not different than all my fellow travelers, including you and folks that are joining us here. But I lost my dad when I was 16 in my arms. I lost two brothers and my mom, as well as further out in the family circle. And the losses that I've experienced so close up in my life at such a young age and continuing throughout is something that has taught me deeply the importance of doing the work, the inner work of leadership, of personal development, so that I can shed anything that gets in the way of me being connected and loving other people as well as myself. So death and loss, which I've had a lot of, has really been an incredible gift in helping me cultivate a capacity for being aware and present and meeting difficulty or challenge or disappointment in others and myself with compassion. So awareness and compassion are really central to me, as well as being grounded in purpose and meaning. So I founded a company called Purpose Blue, and we work with organizations, businesses, really huge businesses and small startups to bring the teachings of mindfulness, compassion, purpose, meaning, connection to all levels of the organization, senior leaders to new hires. And that's really gives me a lot of purpose and meaning. So the path I've walked with, I'm also an entrepreneur. I've worked in big corporations. So my capacity to identify with everyday struggles and everyday joys has grown. That reservoir is quite big. Mm. And out of that is where I share and write and teach. Mm. That's beautiful. So that's another commonality we share. I mean, this is the Higher Purpose podcast. And the people that are drawn here are those people you're talking about that are in the pursuit of purpose in business, leadership, and life at all levels. Hey, Laurie, there was just a barking dog in the background, right? And there is an element that we go, oh my gosh. But then all of a sudden I think, wow, that is this fellow human experience. Dogs bark. Yeah, they do. In the middle of when we're wanting them to be quiet. So how do you extend compassion to yourself even in real time like that? Yeah, it's such a great real life experience. And this happens all the time. So what we cultivate with regular mindfulness practice, which is the skill of paying attention to what's happening in the moment in a non-judgmental way translates into the rest of the day. So if the doorbell rings, a dog barks while we're recording something, I actually don't judge it as a bad thing, honestly. So I didn't even need self-compassion because it's more of a practice of, okay, this is here, this is happening, and an acceptance of, oh, life is like this right now. And even I've been training my mind and I train my clients in cultivating a positive outlook, having a positive orientation. 
And I truly just had a sense of gratitude and delight that I'm in conversation with you and this incredible author that I've come to know virtually over the phone and other means for the last year is in my house right now. So I even feel more supported and connected in my conversation with you because she's here. So in this case, it wasn't a need to practice self-compassion, but as we were speaking earlier, I definitely do need to practice self-compassion throughout the day because many things happen where a mistake is made or a ball is dropped or I get some disturbing news that actually happened this morning and I felt a sense of hurt from this news, even a sense of betrayal. And I was surprised by it. And that feeling in the body was very strong. And I just noticed it. My thinking mind wants to go right into, you had a couple flags about trusting this person and you trusted this person and see you got hurt. So that's the inner critic, it's often called. And the inner critic is part of our biology. It's there to keep us safe, to protect us, to ensure we survive physically and emotionally. And I've learned with practice, and there's a lot of research around seeing or hearing that inner critic. I'm not pushing it away. I'm not denying it. I'm not suppressing it. But I'm just saying, okay, I hear you. You want to keep me safe. But then dropping below that. So not engaging in this cognitive analysis of what transpired with this person, but more dropping into my body. Mm. And that's really a step one in practicing self-compassion and mindfulness. And that first step is mindfulness. It's just saying, what's here right now? What hurts? Mm. And naming it. And I actually, I was driving. (laughs) So you can practice self-compassion anywhere. I was driving on this big highway here in Washington, D.C. area, Rockville Pike. I put my hand on my chest because that's where I felt the embodied physical sensations of the hurt. Mm -hmm. And I just put my hand on my chest and I just felt it. And I just said, okay, there it is, chest, a little bit in the belly. What is it? And I bring curiosity to that. That's the training in mindfulness. What's here? What does it feel like? And I kind of felt the weight and felt the heaviness. And then the next component in that mindfulness piece is allowing. So I just allowed the hurt to be there. I just said, okay, it's like this. You're hurt. All right. It's okay. And then the feel of my hand on my chest actually releases a neurotransmitter oxytocin, which is a beautiful inner pharmacy that we have to really bathe myself in kind of a soothing level of calmness. So we can deliberately activate that. So I had this recognition of mindfulness, this hurts, this is hard, and then allowed it. And then I connected to what we were talking about with this common human experience. And I said, you're not the only one that has felt this hurt. You're not the only one that's experiencing it right now. There are people all over the Washington metropolitan area. There are people all over the world that have been hurt or betrayed in a relationship. So, or even believe. So really the next piece in that the common humanity is knowing I'm not alone. It's part of being human. And then bringing in this curious investigation, deepening my attention, because a lot of times, and I'm sure it's true today, some of our feelings of being triggered or hurt are due to a narrative or a story 
that we're telling ourselves. So mindfulness training has helped me see and observe the narratives that I tell myself that actually hurt me. So then I thought, okay, wait, once I attended and befriended my experience and allowed it to be there and soothe myself and connected to being a human being, then I can say, well, wait a minute, what are you believing about this other person's intention? Or what are you believing about your own actions or behaviors? How I might've been complicit in setting myself up for this experience. So that investigation, that inquiry is a really key tool in mindfulness and compassion. But we don't jump right into that. I think we're trained in our society to quickly do a cognitive reappraisal. Let's do a perspective shift. And what I've learned is that before we go cognitive, we drop into the body, meet ourselves with kindness and allow it to be there. Allow the emotion to peak and subside. Emotions are impermanent, temporary phenomenon. They come and they go, just like weather systems. So allowing that to be there, allowing it to kind of dissipate a little and then go up into the, I almost think of going up into the brain, but then saying, you know, what am I believing about this person? Or what am I believing the intention was? And realizing that I don't know the whole story. Mm. I don't know motivations of other people or their past pain and trauma or ways they might've acted to keep themselves safe and protected. So then that allowed me to create some more space around it. One of my teachers is Jack Cornfield. I've worked closely with him in a program over the last few years. He's such a beautiful teacher and he teaches us to invite, to create almost a spaciousness around difficulty. Mm. Instead of being trapped in this small sense of self and feeling pain and righteousness, oh, how could they? But really it's a process and there's a letting go and an, an ease that happens and a relaxing, the body relaxes. And then I can think about, okay, what might be happening? What might be going on for the other person? And then the fourth step or third step, it depends on, I have a couple models that I use all the time and they blend together, is this idea of self-kindness or nurturing. So here I just say, what do you, it's okay, sweetheart. You're okay. What do you need right now? And then I bring that, and I'm as I'm talking to you, I have my hand on my chest. Again, that physical contact, feeling the weight of my hand on my chest is a soothing strategy. I feel connection. Mm. So we long for connection. We long for belonging. And it starts with ourselves. We can connect with ourselves and belong to ourselves as step one. Mm. And then when I do that, then I'm shifting my state. I'm now in a different state than when the trigger happened. And I teach this a lot in the workplace because this is how we bring love to work. Mm. We bring it to ourselves first. And then that allows us to spread that out in widening circles as we influence our teams and our peers and colleagues and vendors and partners and everybody we work with. We need to begin with ourselves. Oh, beautiful conversation. And there's so much that I just heard in those few moments, Laurie, that I want to ask. And one is I was listening and watching. There was something I heard you say. And so the power of self-compassion is an audio book. It's an audible 
original right now that's out there. And that's how I first experienced you. And I loved it in our conversation that you were talking about. I hope you're enjoying the experience of the book. So this is a book to experience. It's not just something you listen to and read and cognitively take in. But I heard you say something in the book that just hit me differently in the last few moments. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think of it that way until I encountered you doing it. And I shared this with somebody yesterday or day before because the thought was there fresh. Touch activates the physiology of care. Yes. Okay. For all mammals. For all mammals. But when I first heard that, I wasn't thinking of that the touch of yourself to yourself even. I was thinking this in the terms of a hug or a a gentle touch on someone's shoulder or arm or something like that. But then I watched you and you were activating the physiology of care to yourself. Absolutely. So it's a multidimensional approach, the approach of self-compassion, right? There's a sensing from the inside out of what my experience is in the moment. The mindfulness is paying attention to my direct experience in the moment. That's step one. Mm-hmm. And then I can use a couple of different tools. So one of them is the tool of touch. And that is a primal mm-hmm. development of our biology and all of our friends, our cats and dogs and kangaroos and everyone else. We're all using touch for mm-hmm. self-soothing and soothing others. So you know, one of the things I find so powerful is that we can learn and deliberately practice and engage in specific strategies to enable us to be more aware and connected. And we can shift our experience with kindness at any point in time. So we can learn these tools of the tool of touch. We can also learn mental strategies. That was the next step that I engaged in some mental strategies to bring compassion to myself in the moment. It's powerful. One of those I loved that I heard you do a moment ago, but also heard it in the book, is how you speak to yourself. It's okay, sweetheart. Yes. Yeah, I think it's really incredible that we can also reprogram that. What many people are not aware of is that we do speak to ourselves. So even just understanding that, when I first understood that 25 years ago, when I lived in California and my client, a Vietnamese engineer, taught me about mindfulness, she taught me that we can witness the thoughts Mm. that we have in our head. And up until that point, I think that I had largely just blown through life with the soundtrack of that inner voice just there, almost over-identifying with that voice, thinking that voice is me and that voice is smart. I got good grades in school and I'm doing okay in the world. And how I'm seeing everything is true. Not even being aware that there's this programmed voice in my head that's separate from who I am. I'm actually not that voice. Mm. This is like a big, big epiphany. And once we learn that we're not that voice, We can actually start to see the voice and we can change that narrative. We can change those inner messages. And that is really powerful. And that's a cultivated practice. And that's part of mindfulness and compassion that I write about in the Mindful Day. And I wrote and recorded in The Power of Self-Compassion. 
Okay, there are a couple of questions I want to ask, unpacking this a bit further. And you said something. So I think you listening, you're very aware there's a voice in your head, Mm -hmm. a voice of yourself. You may be like me and more often attuned to that in a very negative sense rather than the kind, compassionate voice, right? So a question, Laurie, is in your experience, how many people do you observe that are incredibly kind and compassionate towards others yet struggle to show themselves that same kind of kindness? You know, we can be so cruel to ourselves. Yeah, well, all of us, part of our survival mechanisms is a voice of negativity. So. Part of that negative voice when we're cruel to ourselves is from conditioning. We might have had a very critical parent Mm -hmm. or a very tough school teacher. We might be in a society. I've lived in three different cultures around the world, and they're quite different in how they condition their populations and motivation. Some believe that you motivate with a cattle prod, and other people believe you motivate with kindness. So a lot of that is cultural, but a lot of it is our biology. Mm. So we're designed with a negativity bias. Mm, Right. The negativity bias is there to protect us. So it's not unusual that the voice in the head is negative. Mm. It's there for many reasons that have a positive intention, but the impact can be quite the opposite. It's actually demotivating a negative inner voice creates a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. That means that I might over-identify. I might think I'm just no good with numbers or I always drop the ball or I just can't keep things organized. We identify ourselves with the negative voice instead of seeing certain behaviors and patterns as transient. Mm -hmm. But we can recondition. We unlearn the negative voice. We relearn a positive voice. And then you just touched on something else that I found intriguing, and that is that there's a connection, or I believe there is, I want to ask you about it, the connection or correlation between self-compassion and self-kindness. You work with a lot of high achievers. Mm -hmm. Is being compassionate to yourself, letting yourself off the hook for achievement? Yeah, and that's one of the roadblocks to people embracing self-compassion and What we see in the research is that that comes up as the reason many people, especially high achievers, don't practice self-kindness. And actually, it's so powerful to discover that when we put people in different, in a study and we have a control group and we have a, say, a group that practices affirmation, look in the mirror and say, you're great. You've got this. You can do it. And then we have a group that practices self-compassion. The group that practices self-kindness and self-compassion, which is different than self-esteem building, and it's different than affirmation, this group is more motivated to change. They take more risk. They have that growth mindset. They have a mindset of, I'm learning versus, I blew it. I'm a loser. It's a very different mindset. A mindset that I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm improving as I go. That's an empowering, motivating mindset. And the difference shows up in performance. Mm -hmm. Okay, so say a little more, if you will, about the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion. Yeah, so I learned this from the pioneer in the field, Dr. Kristen Neff, in the field of self-compassion. And she teaches and has studied 
the distinction between these two things, which might come as a surprise because to your listeners, because we have such a culture, particularly in the last decade, it's starting to change, but a culture that promotes this idea of self-esteem. But self-esteem is based on comparison. Yeah. So self-esteem is based on how am I doing compared to the person sitting next to me at work or in class or my neighbor or my girlfriends? Can I do as many yoga poses as they? Am I running as fast as that person? Is my spouse as good looking and successful as my girlfriends I went to high school with? So this idea of comparison is so embedded in our society. It is a major cause of so much emotional suffering and disconnection and loneliness. And so self-esteem is built on that. And self-esteem is tied to ranking and rating and where you sit and how many likes you have. And frankly, how many people are listening to your podcast, right? Like we're constantly using metrics and comparing and self-compassion has nothing to do with that. Self-compassion has everything to do with how we see ourselves and how we treat ourselves in the moment. Mm. There's no association with how I'm ranking. And what a freedom. What a freedom there. Okay, so, oh, I'm enjoying this, Laurie. Thank you. <laughs> As I'm listening to this, I'm just thinking, okay, folks, we are not here promoting a hack. Exactly. Right? This is not the latest in productivity hacks. This is not the latest. So say something about what's different between this and affirmation, because that's the other thing, right? I know so many people that have their self-esteem processes, their affirmations that they do daily. How's this different? So affirmation is, I think language is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And I talked about, we're training ourselves to talk to ourselves differently. So I don't want to take all of affirmation and make it wrong. But if we're only doing positive statements to ourselves and trying to convince ourselves of these labels or positive statements, it often doesn't go deep enough. So the work we're doing here with mindfulness and compassion for ourselves and others is deeper work. It's work that connects to understanding. It's built on self-awareness, understanding strengths and preferences and things that trigger us, habitual patterns of disconnection or taking refuge in things that don't serve us, whether it's an apple pie or a bottle of Chardonnay or binging Netflix or being a workaholic. It's really at that level of self-awareness and self-acceptance. I accept myself for who I am right now. Sometimes the work of self-affirmation or using affirmations, it doesn't even go into that at all. It's more like, let me come up with five positive statements, stick them on my mirror, wake up in the morning and repeat them. And I would say that is better than not doing anything. But what we can really do is get to know ourselves and accept, this is who I am. I'm a beautiful, imperfect human being. And I've been really in that journey more and more in the last few years, like I'm a creative person, you know, in the room I'm sitting in right now, there are a lot of paintings on the wall that I painted. I love writing. I love dancing. And I'm accepting the gifts that I bring to the world. And I also know that I'm not as organized and structured. My pajama drawer isn't as perfectly folded as my neighbors. And I used to really want it all to be 
as good as it could be. I wanted to like hit a home run in every area. And nowadays I don't. I just hired a wonderful team to help me organize my basement. We've done tremendous work. I'm so delighted. I have a beautiful team that works with me that takes on the things that are not my strengths. And where I'm not so strong, if it makes sense, I build that muscle, I build that capacity. But a lot of self-acceptance is just saying, okay, you know, that's not who you are. You're this creative artist writer and that shows up in many ways and serves the world in many ways. So I'm in flow. Mm. I'm really in a flow now. Sometimes with affirmation or self-esteem building, it's like a grit. It's like grit your teeth and say your affirmations and build up your self-esteem. And then when a failure comes along, it knocks us right down. Self-esteem does not shore us up against failure and mistakes and so on because then you climb up on a pedestal and then you fall right down. So self-compassion and mindfulness is accepting that life is messy, mistakes are normal, there'll be disappointment and hurt, there'll be joy and connection and generosity and compassion and wonder and all, all the positive states, and we can generate those at will. So it's more the practice of accepting what is and amplifying the good. What a beautiful contrast and distinction for us. So I've got one more question that I want to ask you. And then, well, let me ask you, can we do a little mindfulness now together in just a moment? Sure, I'd love to. So being while doing, I heard you say that in the book. And I was like, oh, because so many of us look at being versus doing. Yes. Or being before doing. Yes. And you just had this beautiful phrase that brought them together, being while doing. Yes. Elaborate on that for a moment. I'm so glad you heard that because that is a central thing that I teach. And even the idea of being and doing, I think for many people, just that alone, just these concepts are already a great step because a lot of us just are oriented around doing. We have a full pack schedule. We're addicted to busyness in our cultures at work. We make heroes out of the busiest, most frenetic, harried people. We hold busyness and productivity as a badge of honor. So even understanding that there's a difference with there's doing, but we're human beings. We're not human doings. So being is about the way we are from the inside out. What is the quality of inner peace or lack of inner peace? All of it's welcome. What is my current mind? Am I feeling open and aware and spacious? Or am I feeling closed, defensive, and attached to my point of view? Am I committed to learning or am I committed to being right? Am I curious or am I judgmental? Am I judging myself and others or am I compassionate and caring? So that's what the being part is. And for some folks, they encourage us to incorporate moments of just being in the day so that when we're doing, we can be more effective. And I agree with that. I think it's important to have pauses and moments of stillness and just being without doing. But what I teach, because we all do have a lot to do, and that's not going to go away, is can we bring in a more effective and enjoyable way of being while we are doing? So when we're in the meeting, when we're having a difficult conversation with a peer or direct report, when we are speaking to our child, when we realize they haven't done their homework, 
or that we want to plan a wonderful weekend with them and actually be with them and not on our phone or distracted? How can we set an intention and cultivate a capacity to be in those more positive states while we're doing? Mm -hmm. So that's the being while doing. And I'm really glad you brought that up. I think it's a really helpful thing to explore. Yes. Oh, I'm intrigued and was encouraged by that. So, Laurie, we've got people, who knows what you're doing now while you're listening? You could be driving, you could be commuting, you could be in the gym on some exercise device. You may be out in nature running. I had several people posting the routes they ran while listening to the podcast in the month of January. So, who knows what you're doing? But Laurie wants to invite us into a self-compassion moment here or moments. Would you do that for us? Yeah, well, I really like that you reminded me that not everyone's going to be sitting still on their living room sofa. So I will do this in the moment with the idea that they might be in motion. So we'll practice a little mindfulness and compassion while in motion. That'll be my assumption. So I'll bring the whole audience in mind. If you are sitting in a way where you can be still and alert, then do so at this time. And you can close your eyes if you like, or you can look down at the floor. And I invite you to sit like a majestic mountain. So you're feeling a sense of stability and calmness. And if you're moving, if you're hiking or walking or running or shopping or driving the car, see if you can just bring attention sort of the center of your body, just this, this inner field, this inner space. You're just bringing the attention of your mind, almost like it's a flashlight, to the interior and just connecting with that. And just taking a breath here, whatever you're doing, just bringing attention to breathing for a moment. Just taking a nice deep inhale and a slow, easy exhale or breathing at whatever is coming naturally for you if you're moving. We're not trying to force the breath. We're just breathing naturally, but we're observing it. We're feeling what it's like to breathe. And then I invite you, with whatever you're doing, to just notice whatever's here for you right now. First, starting with the body. How's your body feel? If you're moving, is there an energy on your hike? Is your heart racing? Is your breath faster than usual? If you're sitting, just what are you noticing in the body? Maybe there's a little excitement from a call you had earlier, or maybe there's a sense of peace or warmth from the conversation we've been having. So just tuning into your felt experience right now. That's a, it's a key part of practicing mindfulness and allowing whatever's there to be there. We're not pushing anything away. And then I invite you to connect to this human experience we're all having, that you're a human being having a human experience. Or you're a spiritual being is really how I think about it in a human body. And then we're all that way. And we all have joys and sorrows and we all want to be happy. And that just kind of gets us out of our thinking with a capital I and gets us into a we mindset. We're all in this together. We're all having this experience of being human. 
And I invite you as you're doing that to tune into your senses. So if you're on a hike or taking a walk or driving the car, just allowing your ears to hear what's happening and your eyes to see, maybe looking up at the blue sky or trees if you see those. The senses always bring us into the present. So you will get lost in thought as you do meditations. It's normal. You can always come right back to the senses. So we're just noticing what's around us. And then let's invite some self-compassion. So I ask you to think about anything that you might be experiencing right now in your life that's a little difficult. It might be that there's an illness in the family or maybe with you. It might be there's a change at work or a lot of pressure on a project you're having. It might be that you're feeling unsure or insecure about a key decision that you need to make in your life. Or maybe there's transitions happening in the family. Maybe elders are going into a different place of living or a different state of health. Maybe children are going off to college or going through some hard times. So just think about whatever might be difficult in your life right now and just bring that up. And you can put your hand on your heart if you like. And this is where we meet ourselves. We talk to ourselves as we would talk to a friend. And I say, it's okay, sweetheart. You might say, this is hard right now. What will best serve here? What do you need right now? So we're tuning into needs and meeting those with kindness. And this is a really beautiful way to cultivate ourselves as a friend. That self-love, that self-compassion, which then allows us to carry that out to those around us as we influence and touch. So just feel the weight of the hand and take a nice breath from here. I'm noticing a smile is on my face. I'm just smiling. It's like Thich Nhat Hanh calls it smile yoga. Even a smile can shift our physiology. So we just meet ourselves with kindness in that moment. And now we can just bring attention back to breathing. Just taking a nice deep breath in. And a slow, easy exhale. Continuing the run or the drive or the sitting, or whatever you may be doing, knowing that you've got these tools available and you can go back and practice and practice because the key is whatever we practice gets stronger. So soon these types of moves become your new default way of being. And that's what's very exciting. That's a superpower. Well, thank you for sharing your superpower with us and unleashing the superpower within us. So, Laurie, two more questions quickly here as our time's coming to an end. What do you hope happens in the world as a result of increased self-compassion? Well, when we're operating out of fear and anger, we behave in ways that divide and hurt others. And self-compassion cultivates inner peace and acceptance. And the practice of empathy and compassion to ourselves activates the same part of the brain that allows us to be empathetic and compassionate with others. That's the insula. 
So I really believe that peace within creates peace without, or inner peace can help us create peace in the world. It sounds like a platitude, but I absolutely believe that that's the road, that's the path forward. And so it starts with all of us as individuals. We have to practice ourselves, and then that ripples out in ever widening circles. And that's my hope. I share that hope, Laurie. Any final words that allow this to just come to a point of happy departure for you in our time together today? Well, I love that you're doing a higher purpose podcast and cultivating that community. And I invite the listeners to learn more about self-compassion and learn more about practicing mindfulness at work and in life by coming over to my website at purposeblue.com and they can join my community. I write not too often, but about once a month, sometimes twice, I'll write a blog where I share stories and research and practical tips for integrating mindfulness and compassion in our everyday lives. So they can join me at purposeblue.com. And I'm really active on Instagram. I'm very visual, as I mentioned earlier, and I love Instagram. So for those that are on Instagram, I'm at Laurie, L-A-U-R-I-E, jcameron.com. And for those that love to meditate, my favorite app is Insight Timer. It's a free app. It's got millions of subscribers. It's incredible because it allows teachings to be easily accessible. So they can find the self-compassion practice on the Insight Timer app and many other recorded meditations I've got there. And I'm really excited to tell you that Insight Timer has asked me to turn my book, The Mindful Day, into its first long-form course. So there'll be 15 daily mini lessons and practices coming from The Mindful Day. So we're working on that now and we'll be recording it soon. So I'm really excited about that. So there are many ways that your listeners can find me and I love to hear from them with emails and direct messages on Instagram or Twitter. So I encourage them to do that. Well, thank you so much, Laurie. This has been a pure joy to share this time with you today. Oh, thank you. It's been great to be here with you. Often about this time in the podcast, I'm asking you what's lingering in your heart or mind. And today, I hope that your heart is warmed, that you're feeling a lingering of love, extending compassion to yourself. I'll be honest with you. I like to think that I'm a kind, caring, and compassionate person, but through the years, I've been so incredibly cruel to myself. I've said things to myself that I would never say to anyone else on the planet. So I truly enjoyed the kind way Laurie addresses herself, saying, it's okay, sweetheart. Maybe you want to adopt a practice like that, speaking kindly to yourself, especially when you've had one of those moments of shared or common humanity, the hard stuff of life that you and me go through. Next time, or this time even, if you're there now, realize others are going through it as well. You are not alone. Stop beating yourself up. Be kind, gentle, compassionate to yourself. Extend mercy, grace, kindness to yourself. And then the other concept that I really enjoyed hearing Laurie talk about 
give this being while doing a try and see what happens in your life. Well, we're not done talking about love. Up next on the podcast is a conversation about the business value of belonging. I can't wait for that, and I look forward to connecting here or elsewhere with you again soon. You know you can reach out to me, Kevin, at higherpurposepodcast.com, phone or text 678-744-5111. Until we connect again, keep shining your light and loving your way forward on the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. You are making a difference. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.